Hello and welcome to Family Renewal. I'm Israel Wayne, your host. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as we take a look at faith, family, and culture, all through the lenses of a biblical worldview. This program is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Family Renewal Podcast. And our guest this week is Kevin Swanson. He is the founder of Generations with Vision. He has contributed much to the Christian community in terms of his writing and speaking as a conference speaker, as an author. Uh, He is a pastor. He is a father. He is a husband. He is waiting on some grandbabies that are going to be here soon. So that's exciting news on the personal front. Uh, He is also a homeschooled graduate himself, uh, one of the pioneer families that uh, was involved in homeschooling before the modern day Christian homeschooling movement even began. And we're going to let him tell a little bit of that story. But Kevin, welcome to the Family Renewal Podcast. Thank you, Israel. It's great, great to be here. I think the old country song goes, I was homeschooled before homeschool was cool, uh, ties into both you and me. Yes. Well, you were out about almost a decade before my family. My family started in the late 1970s. You're starting in the late 1960s. And uh, your dad was a unique person who was not a conformist. He was not the kind of person who just went along with the cultural trends like everybody else. He was a bit of a salmon who went upstream and decided he needed to do something different with his family than what he saw happening around him. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your own homeschooling journey as a student and what led your family, uh, probably didn't call it homeschooling back in those days, but led your family into learning at home? Yeah, um, my dad was a, a public school teacher, private school teacher, Christian school teacher, got involved in the Christian school movement, got involved with Creation Research Institute with Henry Morris in the early 1960s. Uh, my mom as well, uh, just involved in teaching and such. And uh, in 1969, my folks decided to go to the mission field in Japan. And at that point, they decided that they would homeschool us on the field. And uh, my, my dad was really committed to, uh, to, to, to giving his children a Christian education. He was concerned about the whole naturalistic evolution picture that just seemed to be sweeping through the public schools at the time, and also concerned about the, the teenage rebellion that just seemed to be very strong in the 60s. And he saw that. He was a teacher um, in high school. And so he saw that the hearts of the fathers were separating from the sons and sons from the fathers. Kind of this radical, revolutionary uh, teenage thing going on. And my dad just said, oh, man, I want the hearts of my kids. And decided that he would uh, homeschool us in the mission field in Japan. And so they did that. Six children uh, homeschooled in the 60s and 70s. And uh, now six children serving Jesus in various capacities, different places around the world, like three or four nations, um, all over the world today. And uh, of course, in 1980 or 1990, I get married. In 1991, we have our first child, and then we just jump right into it ourselves. So, you know, second generation, five kids, um, and uh, they've all graduated as of about a year ago. So, uh, Abigail's 19 and up to Daniel's 27. So, five children. And now Bethany is with child, as you mentioned, twins coming in about two weeks. And so we're excited about that. And so we got like generation four coming. So, uh, yeah, excited about, you know, what the Lord has been doing with us uh, in this homeschool vision. I really has been a developing vision. And we could talk about that 
Um, I wrote the book Upgrade the Ten Secrets to the Best Education for My Child, gave it to my mom, who had homeschooled us. She read my book Upgrade and said, ah, son, I wish I'd done this with you. You know, I wish I'd had the vision to do this well. Turns out they did have a vision, um, but it's a developing vision. I think that's the that's the key thing. I think you've seen that in your own life too, Israel. You know, it's a developing vision that's happening, and God is just really teaching us a lot of neat things through the generations. I don't know when I first became familiar with you. I, I think the first time we met in person was probably 2003. And uh, I remember when I read Upgrade, I remember thinking, you know, th- this guy and I have not really crossed paths in terms of we haven't influenced each other much, but I think we had read so many of the same authors and had been influenced by so many of the same streams of, of information because you read widely as I do, um, that I, I could just, I could tell a lot of the, the, the voices and um, things that you would say, you know, I'd had similar influences. And uh, I, I remember that when I read Upgrade, your book on education, I remember thinking that it was, uh, it was a smarter approach than what I used. Uh, my first homeschooling book came out in 2000. And my approach was to take a baseball bat and hit you between the eyes as hard as I knew how. And what you did in your book upgrade was you boiled the frog slowly. <laughs> and so I got to the end of the book and it was like, this guy didn't really leave you any else that you could go. You just talked about what are principles that make for good education and good, what, what is a good teacher and what is good teaching. And so who could possibly be in, against any of that? But then when you get down to the end of it, you kind of realize, wow, this looks an awful lot like biblical discipleship <laughs> at the very end. And that, like, that's the method that actually works. But, but by that time, you'd already read the book by the time you figured out that was the hook. So I thought, boy, this would be a, a much better book to give to uh, friends who were in the industry, if you will, uh, than my book, which they jump out of the water in the first chapter. You so. know, what, what's funny is that book, and, and here's the book right here. Upgrade started really as a homeschool into a seminar because, you know, when I started with Christian Home Educators of Colorado 22 years ago, I, I just started doing intro seminars. Every month I did an intro seminar and, you know, people kind of walk in with that look on their face, you know, what am I doing this hand basket and where are we going? You know, knowing that there's something wrong with the systems, but not really knowing what they were. So, you know, you got to speak to everybody and Gus be those people. So I carefully worked in intro seminar around the average Joe or the average Jill walking into the intro seminar for homeschooling here in Colorado. And that's how we developed this book upgrade. It's an excellent book. And for those who have friends who are school teachers, for example, I would highly recommend buying a copy of upgrade and giving them that book because I think they'll resonate with a lot of the concepts that he talks about, about just good principles of teaching and learning uh, that they'll, they'll be able to connect with, but that it moves them very gently into uh, a biblical framework for how to think about education. And so it's an excellent, uh, excellent read. So that was um, in terms of my connection with you, Generations Radio Show, which we haven't talked about yet. Um, how long have you been doing that? that? That book upgrade and then Generations were kind of my, my first introductions to your work. Um, how did the radio show come about? I'm thinking the radio program started 16 years ago. I have to double check the numbers. It's been 16 or 17 years. We started with local uh, radio stations here in Denver and Colorado Springs and then moved it more to a podcast. And now we have thousands of folks listening from 100 plus countries around the world. And it's been a growing thing for quite some time. But, uh, you know, my intention was to be able to just share vision, encourage families on a daily basis. 
it's been a tremendous uh, labor uh, to try to get it out, you know, every single day for 16 or 17 years, uh, especially with all the other things going on. But I just felt it was important to communicate a biblical worldview perspective of all these different issues and, and a family discipleship approach with some encouragement along the way uh, on a daily basis. One thing for people to attend a, a conference once a year, get three days of encouragement. I really wanted something for 362 days a year so folks could really connect with something on a daily basis. And now, of course, all that's available at generations.org. And then about five years ago, we added the worldview in five minutes, which gives you a biblical worldview perspective of the whole world, really, news from the whole world on a daily basis. And uh, we put about $80,000 a year into that. We have a full-time staff. Um, we have you know, quite a bit of research going on for that daily five-minute uh, news update. But we know that homeschooling families everywhere, all over the place, are tuning into the Worldview in Five Minutes, too. So, so the Worldview in Five Minutes and the Generations uh, Talk program, uh, both available at generations.org. So for families who want to uh, listen to uh, either a five-minute synopsis of the news and culture, what's happening in the day, uh, they have that option. Or if they want an expanded half-hour show where they can listen to a broader discussion on a plethora of issues. I mean, you, you cover a really broad range from things that are happening in the church to issues of the home and family and marriage and parenting to mm-hmm. things that are happening in politics and within well, we're trying our, to get everything. Our culture. Trying to get everything. You know, the men in Ishikar, they understood the times. And we do feel that, you know, we, as Christians, we, we need to be able to answer questions. We need to be able to say, this is what the Word of God has to say about this issue or that issue. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. Sometimes you have to deal with the feminism or the transgenderism or, you know, the isms of the day, uh, the Black Lives Matter riots and such. We try to do it with some care and some, some carefulness, uh, but always with a biblical perspective. We feel if we can feel concrete, if we can feel the Word of God underneath us as we're having the discussion, we're going to be okay. But, you know, if you get into the discussion without the Scriptures, without the Word of God, you're going to lose your North Star. So we just want to make sure families understand how to address the chaos, the confusion, the craziness going on in our world today. I just think you need a voice of sanity or voices of sanity. We actually have a team of myself and three co-hosts, all of which uh, are unified in this vision. And so they're all homeschooling dads. And uh, Bill Jack is on our, on our team. Adam McManus is on our team. Steve Vaughn's on our team. Danny Craig is on our team. Actually, we have five guys that regularly in, you know, come together and do this daily broadcast. And um, I think it's, it's a really, really effective way to keep a Christian worldview in front of us as we address the issues of the day. We're big on history, very, very big on history. So we present a lot of American history, world history, missions history. All that's really, really important to me. It's part of our curriculum we'll talk about. But what I see in the news is the news is a continuation of his story, you know, God's story and the history that's, uh, that's characterizing our world today. So I think we should actually connect with the news. The depressing element of the news is just sitting there and staring at Fox News and CNN all day. That's depressing. <laughs> but if you apply you know, God's word to what's going on around us, you're going to be a lot more encouraged. If you see God's sovereignty working, if you see that you know, God's kingdom is still pushing forward, if you can understand that uh, God's principles are the means by which we interpret what's going on around us, we're going to be a lot more encouraged. So that's what we try to do in these programs. So around five years or so ago, I noticed that you started developing homeschool curriculum and that you started trying to take some of these big picture concepts that you talk about and you allude to 
in your podcast and in your radio show, you started to take them and, and flesh it out into a curricula that parents could use with their children. So tell us a little bit about the origins of the curriculum and the development of it and, and where things are going. And, and uh, you know, feel free to share some of the resources that you've developed that families might be interested in. Well, I, I think I'm trying to understand exactly why I did what I did. You know, <laughs> in some respects, it's a calling, Israel. Like I, I felt God's call on my life for this. Also, my mother's call. My mother was, you know, homeschooling us in the 1970s and 1980s, and she was concerned about the, the influence of conventional schooling on the family discipleship model. She was concerned about the influence of public schooling, secular schooling on the homeschooling, Christian homeschooling model. And so my mother was also encouraging us to bring in a distinctively Christian flavor, especially to the field of literature. So that's really where it began for us is we needed to bring a reformation. We needed to bring something of a reviving in the area of curriculum. When we come into the homeschool context, you know, we're into a different context, but just dragging all of the curriculum back into the, the homeschool context is not necessarily going to reform the education of our children in a secular age. And I've been more and more inclined to wanting somewhat of a radical reforming, uh, that is a rooted reforming, a basic reformation in the area in which we educate our children. Dragging a lot of secularism back into the homeschool is not going to be helpful. Although it's popular sometimes, but it's not going to be helpful, especially for Christian parents who don't want uh, their children to be raised in a secular model or secular humanist model. So, so we were very you know, encouraged to that. And also all of the writers are homeschooled. We're looking at a curriculum that is presented by homeschooled students, that is homeschooled graduates. So this, this is homeschooled, homeschool material written by homeschooled graduates for the next generation of the homeschooled. So, you know, I think we have a different flavor. We have a different focus. We have a, a deep sense of reforming that we want to bring into the area of curriculum and uh, a strong sense of thesis antithesis when it comes to literature. Also, we, we, we call it a front-let curriculum, which means we went into scriptures and we said, what, what is the distinctive element of a Christian education? I, I think those of us who are on a reforming trend saying we don't want our children and our grandchildren walking around in transgendered schools and taking homosexuality 101, 102, 103, 104, 105. There's some of us are saying, you know, we're done with secularism. We're coming back to a scriptural Christian model of education. And so we're really drilling into that as best as we can to identify what is it and how is it going to transform the curriculum. And the word that comes to my mind is frontlet or the sign, the biblical verses, the biblical content that, that hangs before the eyes. Deuteronomy 6, 7 is the locus classicus, you know, the key passage for the education of children. It has been for 3,000 years. I mean, Judeo-Christian people know that Deuteronomy 6, 7 and 9 is the locus classicus. And so what is it saying? What, what is it telling us? Well, it's telling us that we got to be sure the parents are integrated into the education. You shall teach your children as you sit in your house, as you walk by the way, as you rise up, as you lie down. It's your children. It's your house, parents. So there's a parental integration involved. That's what God wants. He wants a parent involved. He wants a parent integrated. But there's also 
a word integration as the Bible has to be integrated. And so for me, that whole idea of the word being right there on the post, on the gates, as a frontlet, before our eyes, as we're walking, as we're sitting down, as we're lying down, the word of God constantly integrated, not, not just some little post-it note of a Bible verse mm-hmm. at the front of the curriculum to kind of sprinkle a little holy water. You know, now it's Christianized. I didn't want that. I want to find a way to integrate the word of God into the curriculum because that's the secret. I believe that's the agenda. That's the reforming that needs to happen in the 21st century as we're doing our best to salvage whatever's left of the Christian faith, certainly in our own families and own church. So, so let's find a way to integrate. And so as I put together, say, America and God's Providence, our 1,000-page 10th grade American history over 500 years, um, you know, you just open up, boom, Bible verse, Bible verse, you know, Bible verse, uh, you know, just page after page of Bible verse, John 10, 10. Here's Galatians 5, 19 to 21. Here's Matthew 5, 14. Uh, here is um, another Bible verse uh, written by... Um, or quoted by James Alexander, and on and on you go. Lots and lots of scripture, sometimes twice, sometimes three times. There's Jeremiah 23, 13. Um, you know, I just just go through it. There's Romans 13, 1 to 2. There's Matthew 26, 52. Uh, there's 1 Samuel 26, 7 to 11. You know, I'm making a gigantic point out of this, right? I'm just kind of going through it, and I'm just saying, whoa, you know, because the Bible should be as a frontlet before our children's eyes when they're done reading about 500 years of american history they should say wow i didn't realize the word of god was so informative and so uh, directive and so important and so essential and had so much to say about so much of what goes on in the world around us see they, they need to know the word of god the word of god needs to be right there integrated into the material so that's the kind of thing that uh, we've been doing in our curriculum is it's a little bit like, you know, Christian education on steroids or a biblical education on steroids, um, bringing the Bible in and integrated into as many subjects as possible. Now, our focus has been on history and literature primarily. Uh, we've also done some stuff in science for the early grades. Uh, my first attempt in science was a God Made Animals on Basic Zoology for sixth graders. I just completed God Made the World. For fifth graders, introducing physics, Newtonian laws of physics, um, some chemistry, some things on the atom, the proton, the neutron, the quarks, et cetera, that make up matter. Uh, But all the way through it, what I do is I have Bible verses. Again, the blue here, Bible verses, Bible verse, Bible verse, Bible verse. Uh, And and here we sing a hymn at the end, so there's a praise and a worship. I want to be sure that children are praising God, and they find on every page— References to the praise of God, the incredible blessing of God uh, in creating these amazing creatures of God. And so they don't go a page without realizing the relevance and the usefulness, the purpose of why we're doing what we're doing. You see, if, if science is presented as this blah, all these facts, just let's just throw a thousand facts at kids. Memorize it all, guys, for the test. Dude, that's irrelevant. That doesn't give a child any sense of purpose. Why am I doing this? What's the purpose of all of this? Two purposes. 
and, and we want to be sure it's on every page. Number one, to be amazed at the awesomeness of God in, in all of his creation, every aspect of his creation. In, in my book, God Made the World, I come to point after point on the chapter on atoms, the chapter on light, the chapter on matter and energy, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm always quoting, you know, scientists saying, we have no idea how this works the way it works. And then I follow up right away, oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. You know, that's on every other page of the physics book. Why? Because God is awesome in his wisdom. God is awesome in his power. See, we need that on every page of the science books. Um, and so I, I wanted to integrate that in. I wanted hymns at the end of every chapter. So the student literally has to listen to the hymn, perhaps on a YouTube video, or, uh, or sing along uh, with the hymn, uh, with the family. There's also, the second aspect of our science is that we wanted to be sure that children understood the purpose of science is to praise God, to worship God. The second purpose of science is to take dominion. So in other words, we want children to know that tag, you're it. Now you know something about the mosquito, okay? So I have a whole section on insects. So we have a whole chapter on insects and flies and mosquitoes, and they're all over the place and all that. And here are the 147 diseases. And here's, here's the malaria disease, which kills, you know, 60 million people a year. It's, it's the most dangerous animal in the world, the mosquito, uh, because of how many people it kills. And they didn't know all that. They didn't know the guy who discovered uh, malaria was a Christian missionary. So, you know, we go through all of the Christian missionaries and all the Christian scientists that, uh, and we have their testimonies in the book as well. As well. So it's, it's heavily Christianized. This gives our Christian heritage big time. But we want to be sure that children walk away knowing they have responsibility uh, in the science class. Tag your it now. So one of the requirements at the end of every chapter is a do section. So not only do they learn, but they got to do. And so at the end of the mosquito chapter, the, the insect chapter, they actually have to go outside of their house or the school and, and empty the, when the, the water out of the wheelbarrows and the wagons and, and then fill in the puddles, you know, about 50 feet in circumference of the house. Now, they've taken immediate practical dominion over the mosquito. See, they have a responsibility to, to rule that mosquito, and they're going to rule over that mosquito as a result of the, of the class that they took the very, very practical, life-integrated science that they're learning in a family discipleship model. Again, this is a, you know, a family discipleship, Bible-based, life-integrated approach. I believe this is the way God wants us to teach. He doesn't want children just to know things. They've got to do these things. So it's one thing to hear the word, but you've got to be a doer of the word. And so that's what we do at the end of every chapter in our fifth and sixth grade science courses. So again, attempts to to revolutionize, reform the way that we educate our children from a distinctively biblical approach. I have a, a textbook from a major Christian publisher that claims to be a biblical worldview publisher. But of course, I'll leave unnamed. But I looked through the 700-page biology textbook, and the word God was mentioned exactly twice in a 100-page biology Ouch. textbook. Ouch. That's Ouch. You know, supposed to be one of the leading Christian curriculum programs. Yeah. So, you know, you think, you think about uh, the difference between a, uh, you know, just an informational uh, textbook that could be used really in any government school versus something that, that constantly points students back to the creator. So they're not worshiping the creation. 
they're worshiping the creator. And, and that's uh, one thing that I, I see you've done very intentionally with your curriculum. And the second thing is also we don't want to worship ourselves. I think the tendency, when you learn things, oftentimes an academic pride begins to sort of grow in, in you. If your attention is taken to yourself and to the accomplishments of men and to the things, the few things that man has learned. Now, the interesting thing about Isaac Newton or even like a Einstein, I've got quotes from these guys. What they will say is that when I get out into God's world, I am so overwhelmed that I am only scratching the surface. I'm like a little boy. Isaac Newton said, I'm like a little boy who found a couple of seashells on the seashore. And I'm enamored by the couple of seashells that I've discovered, but there is a world, a universe of information that I don't even have any understanding of at this point. And, uh, and so that's, you know, I think if you present your science mm -hmm. with, I, I'm going to guess probably 400 references to praising God and worshiping God and God's awesomeness, God's wisdom, God's goodness, God's amazing power, uh, our complete inability to understand the complexities of what God has made with this. Um, I think you wind up with a humility, a fear, a worship of God, a recognition of the awesomeness of God, and you're probably going to be less taken with the awesomeness of yourself. <laughs> you know? so, so in other words, you know, the fear of God, the worship of God, the awesomeness of God uh, will really help in keeping our students humble. I, I, I think, you know, the longer I live and the longer I've been teaching and I've taught in public schools, private schools, colleges, I, I will tell you, classical schools as well, I would tell you that the number one concern is, is that the student remain humble and, and remain in the fear of God and recognize the awesomeness of God in the, in the classroom. And the, the other thing is boredom. <laughs> you know, I mean, the other problem with schools is just boring. Right. And the last thing I want in this curriculum is boredom. I, that's a, in fact, you know, right here, science should never be boring. Okay, that's, that's where we're at the back of this book. Science should never be boring. If science is boring, then God is boring. Hmm. Uninteresting, unworthy of praise, nothing could be further from the truth. So, amen. I mean, you know, that's right. God isn't boring. If, you know, if God's creation is not boring, God's not boring. Let's make sure we don't convey the wrong message in the classroom. You know? I've often said you're always going to have either a humanistic content and methodology in education or a biblical content and methodology in the curriculum. And, and it will always be one or the other. And I think most Christian homeschoolers using a Christian curriculum are giving their children a humanistic education at home without even realizing that they're doing it because they don't really understand the difference. They don't know the antithesis between the humanistic worldview and the biblical worldview and how you have to be intentional to, to avoid uh, and be contra to the humanistic worldview. Um, there was a conversation you and I had some years ago, not that far back, three, four years ago, maybe now that um, has found its way into some of the podcasts that uh, Brooke and I have done here on our family podcast as we talk about history. And you said something, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase what you said, but you said something along the lines of most history textbooks talk about uh, mostly war and killing. And there was this tyrant, uh, this despot, this person became powerful 
this he, he or a bunch of uh, people along with him killed a bunch of people. Some of them resisted and they fought back and there was a revolution and there was an uprising and then there were more people who were killed and lots of bloodshed. And then that led to a dynasty with these despots and these tyrants. And then these people rose up and there was fighting and there was war and these people killed these people off and they died. And, and so really what does history end up becoming? It becomes the story of man, uh, which is largely depressing. Yeah. And it, it really reflects uh, on on sin. Now, if we just wanted to have a uh, a pipe of uh, or you know an empirical evidence of uh, the doctrine of human depravity, history is a great way to do that because you know empirically, tangibly, we can see that people are not good. So, in that sense, there there could be merit to it. But what you said is that what almost none of the curriculum programs do is almost none of them really intentionally set out to tell not the story of man, which is humanistic because man is the man being the center of all things is sort of a working definition of humanism. Um, but, but to say, well, what has God done? And to tell the story of what God has done. And so this year, for example, my wife is using, um, your curriculum, um, taking the world for Jesus. Do you have a copy of that, uh, uh, that yeah. you can show the right viewers, here. um, taking, taking the world, the world for Jesus. Uh, and she's, she's, and then, um, also heroism is another one that goes with that, with kind of missionary stories and so forth. But, but tell us what's different about taking the world from Jesus than, you know, the story of bad people who did bad things and killed everybody and they all died off and then new people rose up and killed more people and they all died off. And what's different about this? Well, the first thing that's different, can everybody see the big word that characterizes the title of this world history course. For our audio listeners, you won't have this benefit, but I'll tell you, it's Jesus. Jesus is in huge, bold capital letters, exactly. right in the center of the text. Jesus, Jesus in 52-point font. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> That's the difference. That's a massive difference. Um, put this beside any other world history course. Right. I think presented by homeschools, Christian schools, you name it, I just don't think people are going to put Jesus at the center of history. Now, if we're Christians, and if Jesus came to the world in roughly 1 AD, what is the most important event, and what is the most important person that has ever appeared in all of human history? Bar none. Yeah, the birth, life, death, resurrection of Jesus. That's central to everything. Amen. Amen. We, we need to bring Jesus back. Jesus needs to be preeminent in all things. He is preeminent in all things. It's just that we're not sharing him. We're not speaking of him as preeminent in all things. This is our 4,000-year history prior to Christ's coming. It's a world history course. Yes, it deals with all the empires, but, you know, ultimately looking forward to Jesus as the great Savior of the world, and this being the taking the world for Jesus. You know, we'll give Caesar a paragraph, but we really wanted to give the Apostle Paul and Polycarp the next 14 pages. You know, yeah, we deal with the wonderful Spanish empire and the slave trade that went on for, well, let me think, 350 years, all the way to the Amistad. Um, yeah, okay, yeah, we'll mention it. We'll, we'll give you human depravity 101, 102, and 103. But at the end of the day, you know, who cares about the Spanish empire? What about the Moravians? You know, we've got 20 pages on the Moravian missionaries that spawned this missionary movement that now has produced 900 million Protestant Christians around the world. Uh, that's worth writing home about. You know, let, let's talk about that for a little while. And these Moravian missionaries that would, in some cases, enslave themselves on the Caribbean 
slave plantations in order to reach every one of the slaves. Some of them had the goal to bring the gospel to every single one of the slaves. It was actually one of the very first outreaches uh, to the Africans. It was one of the very first uh, outreaches of the Protestant missions to anywhere in the world. Uh, it was the amazing work of Zinzendorf and everything that happened at Hernhut. And by the way, my whole family went down to Hernhut to commemorate this amazing turn in all of human history. Um, wow, what an amazing event to turn the world upside down over the next 300 years. You know, let's talk about the Moravians. Be sure you know about Christian David. We went to the, the, the Moravian uh, graveyard out in Hernhut, and uh, there was Zinzendorf's grave, there was Christian David's grave, one of the very first missionaries out of Hernhut, out in the Caribbean. Um, so, you know, let's tell the story of the Moravians. Let's tell the story of what Jesus has accomplished around the world in establishing a church and a, a kingdom everywhere. Taking the world for Jesus, it's cross-denominational. I mean, we're not afraid of talking about Cyril Methodius, who did the amazing work of translating the Word of God into the Cyrillic language after creating the Cyrillic language. And, and then coming up into the eastern side of, of uh, Czech Republic and crushing the Radagas God at the Radhos Mountain, which, by the way, we climbed as a, as a family uh, to commemorate Cyril Methodius, their amazing translation of God's word, and the crushing of the Radagas God. And uh, that was around 800 AD. Uh, but let's talk about Cyril Methodius. Let's talk about uh, the great work that had been done by these missionaries uh, through the ages and the ways in which they have transformed the world for Jesus. Um, we'll give Napoleon, you know, six paragraphs or so, but uh, we want to give Jesus the next 60 pages. So the point is, you know, what's your centerpiece in history? What's, what's the thing that really matters most? Uh, that will be the thing that you spend the most time with. So really encourage people to check out uh, this brand new history course. As you mentioned, Taking the World for Jesus is a, effectively a missions course uh, with, with, you know, some updates on what's going on and the various uh, countries around the world and, and then some of the political events that have been going on. But I think also, here's one more thing that you got to remember. We, we need to be careful that history is not just politics because that's really what happens. When, when we have a statist mindset, that is the government is everything. The government consumes now, what is it? 60% of the gross national income in the modern age. The government is God. The government is everything. The government solves all problems. The government is the savior. The next political election is the most critical thing that's going on because some new governments are going to come in and save us all from poverty or something, or even COVID-19. I don't know. But friends, wow, history is more than politics. Politics is boring. You know, when you just have this long American history course where you, you read, you know, 28 pages on the 1912 election. I mean, come on. I don't need, just tell me who was elected and what nasty things they did and be done with it. Okay, so that's what we do. And then we have entire chapters on the history of the church. Is anybody curious as to what was going on in the church? By the way, what happens in politics is really a derivative of what was going on in the church anyway. Uh, so let's find out what's going on in the church. We have whole chapters in American God's Providence on the history of the church. How about education? Is anybody interested in what's going on in Harvard? Um, as the, the Unitarians and the Latitudinarians are working to take over Harvard in 1705. And, you know, why is it that this mass apostasy happened, deism and Unitarianism tried to take over America by 1776? What happened? Well, it happened in Harvard College. So let's have whole chapters or whole sections on what's going on in the universities and the colleges. 
Um, let's be sure we're dealing with worldview. To what extent does Karl Marx's ideologies come in? To what extent does Charles Darwin's ideologies work in the minds of the, of, of the Chancellor of Germany in 1914, leading to World War I? What was it that was going on in the minds of the Japanese leaders in 1923 and the German leaders in 1928, 1936 to lead to the World War that resulted in 200 million dead people? Let's be sure we're pulling out the Darwinism. Let's take a look at all the Spencer stuff and the eugenic stuff that was pouring through the Japanese printing presses in the 1880s, 1890s to lead to the slaughter of hundreds of millions of people. It was eugenics. It was racism that destroyed so many people that brought about this intense nationalism and this racism that brought about World War II and World War I, by the way, and destroyed so many people in the 20th century. Charles Darwin is to blame. And so let's be sure we get into the worldview purposes for the wars. And then finally, popular culture. Popular culture has so much influence in people's lives today. It was in the Supreme Court in the United States that brought Obergefell to America. It was Lady Gaga. It was Hollywood. It was the popular culture. It was Disney that was working on that way back in the early 1990s. So, you know, let's be sure we're bringing in the popular culture influences as well. And you talk about that in your book, Tattoo Jesus. You have a resource, uh, Tattoo Jesus, where you talk about that. And also um, your biblical worldview curriculum for high school uh, that you you deal with literature, you deal with philosophy. Um, My uh, my oldest son uh, went through... um, the uh, worldviews and conflict curriculum, and uh, you at the end talk about pop culture. I mean, how relevant is that? You know, you go all the way through the Rolling Stones and the Beatles. You know, so it's it, it shows where thought leads in history and literature in pop culture. Yeah, uh, you know, our reading curriculum is is something that a vision that the Lord gave to us early on, um, and my thought was that we teach our children the stories of God's word. I, I do think there's a, such a thing as the factual stage, the grammar stage, mm-hmm. the logical stage, cl- the, the critical stage, and onto the rhetorical stage. I understand that. Um, and part of that is applied to, to a Christian view is to be sure our children know the stories of the word of God. Not so much the pagan stories, but the Christian stories. Uh, it turns out that, yeah, the word does encourage us to teach our children the word of God as we sit in the house, as we walk by the way. So we, we put together for the early grades. This is actually fifth grade. We'll have five grades where we actually go through the stories of the redemptive story, the, what we call God's big story, mm-hmm. which is the biggest story in history. You know, we thinking, should we tell them about Aesop's fables? Should we tell them about Homer's horrible stories? Or maybe let's go with God's big story. You know, uh, that's the best story in history. So let's put that in a reading course. Let's make that core. And so we really recommend, you know, starting with the Word of God. So in five years, our children will go through all of the four to 500 historical stories and narratives that are found in Scripture. So by the time they're done with five years of going through the entire redemptive story five times, uh, they'll know the stories of God's Word. And that will feed their souls, too, because we want them to be sure they know the gospel. Jesus came, crushed the head of the serpent, overcome the devil, uh, kill our sins, and rise from the dead, and then death's taken, death's taken care of, and so praise God. You know, we want to be sure that our children get that in the first five grades. And then after that is the Christian classics. Let's make sure we give our children the Christian classics, um, you know, Pilgrim's Progress, uh, Augustine's Confessions, just the, the best Christian books ever That's written. The Martyrs, so many of those, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And by the way, we republished Heidi, 
and Robinson Crusoe and Swiss Family Robinson with the with the, the with the Christian content back into it was still them. in there, right? Because they took it out, and most of the modern out. versions yeah. they we took the Christian to content out it back in. In the case of Heidi, I worked on Heidi. I looked at about five or six translations of Heidi, and and found all of the Christian content went back into the German Israel. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a great German scholar or anything like that. Um, but I was able to translate some of it and realize that some of the content was never translated into English all the way back in the 1880s. Heidi being the second most popular children's book of all time, but a tremendous Christian heritage stuffed into that beautiful little story of Heidi. And uh, so we republished Heidi with all the Christian content back in. And uh, so I guess our goal is to re-Christianize or bring back the Christian heritage of 2,000 years, and give Jesus some honor for the great things that have been done in history and literature and history and such, and, uh, and then give them the classics. And as you mentioned, once our children have over, say, you know, 11 years worked through the Christian stuff, they're rooted, they're grounded, then we begin to introduce uh, some of the uh, competing worldviews. I-, I just don't think it's a wise thing to throw a 10 or 11 or 12 or 13 year old child into the middle of Homer and Aristotle and Plato and just say, good luck, have a good time. Here's all these worldviews. You know, it's, it's a blender of all these worldviews. Just work it out, just work it out. No, 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 no. We train our children in the right worldview first. You think about what the banker does with money. He receives, you know, the, the, the first bank tellers, the first time they're working at it, they, they, they get the feel of real money and then eventually somebody slips a counterfeit and then they're able to distinguish between the counterfeit and the real money uh, later on. So the same thing for us. We recommend that, chil- that children start with the Bible, uh, which is the best money. It's the very best stuff. And then uh, Christian classics, the best of the Christian classics in all of history. And then, uh, and then eventually, say around 12th grade, introduce uh, Mark Twain, William Shakespeare, uh, you know, and all the others, Nathaniel Hawthorne and all the others. And we, we do that in this course, Worldviews in Conflict. Now, one thing that people say oftentimes about curriculum that's published here in the U.S. is that it's very American-centric. And you grew up on the mission field. You have a great heart for what God is doing, not just in the United States, but what he's doing around the world. Um, and, and really, you know, you spoke at conferences uh, and did seminars in the U.S. for 15 years or more. And then God started to open up doors for you on a more international front. Um, tell us a little bit about your heart for the world and where you, you know, opportunities that you've had uh, to travel and, and speak and, and share uh, overseas. And, and then where you see God taking your ministry as far as it relates to just international ministry. Well, first of all, Israel, something like a wide macro view of what's going on in the world today. I'm working on a book called The Rise and Fall of the West, which is somewhat patterned after Francis Schaeffer's book, uh, How Should We Then Live? Um, But if you look at what's going on, we are seeing the fall of the West going on right now. Economically, no question. Uh, The West used to consume 55, 58% of the gross world product. That's down to the 40s now, should should be down to the 30s shortly. Um, No, no, the West doesn't doesn't uh, rule economically, socially, it's falling apart. Academically, it's falling apart in every possible way. So we're seeing the fall of the West, uh, similar to the fall of Rome of 475 AD, except probably a bigger event than 475 AD. So that's what's going on right now. And what we want to do with the curriculum is bring 2,000 years of the best possible stuff written by Africans, Athanasius, written by uh, 
Europeans, written by Americans, written by others. Um, let's bring all the Christian content. Let's use that for our curriculum. If, if your curriculum is based in Americanism or if it's based in Eurocentricism, I think you're going to be cruelly disappointed. Your children are going to be horribly depressed. And, you know, you're not going to get the optimism of, that you would get if you focused on what Jesus has done and what his kingdom has done, especially in the last hundred years. The last hundred years of the kingdom of Jesus is the most awesome of all of the 20th centuries. So, you know, I'm just thrilled to pieces to what Jesus has done in 2000 years. Now, this will be a period of pessimism in the Western world as the socioeconomies come crashing down, which they're doing right now. Uh, but we need to give our children, I think, an overall optimistic view of preparing the world for Jesus, taking the world for Jesus. In the first or fifth grade, we're doing uh, different continents for every year. It's basically a missions view, a view of how Jesus took Africa by storm, taking Africa for Jesus, in fifth grade, taking Europe for Jesus in sixth grade, taking Asia for Jesus in fourth grade, taking um, the Middle East for Jesus in third grade, and wow. so forth and so on. So, so it's a, this is going to be a curriculum that I believe is going to be useful for um, you know, approximately a billion Christians around the world. That was our goal. Our goal was present a curriculum that gives uh, Christians, not just American Christians, but Asian, there are Christians in Asia. I don't know if people understand that. There are you know, like 100 million Christians in Asia. It's amazing. And Africa is just swamped with Christians. So, but here's one of the challenges. One of the challenges, and by God's grace, he's brought us to 16 countries. I've spoken in front of um, Supreme Court justices and Christian leaders in Uganda, uh, teaching colleges in Zambia. Um, I've spoken in front of uh, teaching colleges and the Department of Education of the entire nation of Bahamas. Um, so I've spoken to a lot of these nations. I'm not talking about just Christians, but also the leaders of these nations. And what the nations are concerned about is that secular education, Western, secular, homosexualized, transgenderized education is, is being pressed upon all of these nations and all of their schools are, are being corrupted by Western secularism, humanism, homosexuality, and the rest. So all these nations are, are having to absorb all of these Western ideas that have been so corrupting and have broken down the entire Western world. We're exporting that to other nations. What we're encouraging other nations to do is, is, is to abandon the, this worldview, abandon the, the, the public school concept, the secularism, of John Dewey and, and these things have been imposed upon Europe and Asia and Africa over these many years. We're encouraging um, th these, these folks to teach their children God's word as they sit in the house, as they walk by the way, as they rise up and as they lie down. And, and they're receiving it. The other thing that's happening, and I've just come away from doing conferences in Nepal uh, for hundreds of pastors in several different uh, places in Nepal. Uh, these guys want to take me to the entire evangelical church in Nepal to speak to thousands of pastors on the vision of family discipleship because their kids are, you know, being processed through the Hindu schools, the humanist schools, and the Buddhist schools. And uh, these pastors are very concerned for their own children and for others. And, uh, and the concern is not just the fact that uh, they're getting the wrong ideologies, but all of these schools, all of these pastors are concerned that the children are receiving popular culture uh, they're, they're receiving it through the iPhone. I don't know if you've seen an iPhone or one of these new smartphones, but uh, Africans are as concerned about this matter 
as we are. I just spoke last year, last summer, at a homeschooling conference in Kampala to, uh, to, to homeschooling parents from, uh, from the Congo, from uh, Sudan, from Uganda, and all that area in South southern uh, Saharan Africa. And these parents are equally concerned, not just about what's taught in the public schools that are being influenced so much by the West, but also by the iPhone. You see, you can control your children's iPhone, but here's the problem. You can't control the iPhone of every other child in the classroom. That's the problem. Now, back in the 1990s, you know, kids would watch television. They'd have access to popular media, but the television sat in the living room. You couldn't take the television into the bathroom and sit there watching the television. It would crush you to death. So they were just too heavy. They're, these televisions, I don't know if you remember Israel, but those televisions were three, 400 pounds. So you, yeah. you couldn't just carry the television into the bathroom with you. But about eight or nine years ago, they developed something called the iPhone, where children could own it. Children could take it anywhere they wanted to, and they could download pornography anytime they wanted to and share it with their friends. And so... That's the issue that uh, Christian parents are dealing with, not just in America, but all around the world. And I'm talking about hundreds of millions of parents around the world today, as much in the Philippines, where I was two years ago, as much in Nepal, where I was three months ago, as much in the Bahamas as I was about four months ago. Parents care for their kids in these nations as much as we do. They love their children. These pastors, these Christian parents, they're concerned for their children. They don't want their children led astray by the disciples of popular media and the peer culture. So I think we're facing amazing outbreak of this vision of family discipleship in countries all around the world. We're talking about a billion people that are ready to receive this message right now. I, I believe this. Only because of the massive secular forces coming out of the zeitgeist through popular media and through the massive influence that the West, United Nations, the United States, State Department, etc., has upon uh, these these nations, um, the homosexualization of the curriculum is being pressed hard on uh, the Bahamas and other places. It's all tied into UNICEF funding, as you, as you probably know. So these families around the world who are looking for resources for their children. Um, these resources are being developed, they're being written uh, for families who want to pray for you and your ministry, Generations with Vision, that God would enable you um, to be able to health-wise, time-wise, uh, finances-wise, to be able to develop these resources for distribution around the world. What are some of the best ways that they can connect with you, that they can get involved, that they can be a part? How can people plug into what you're doing? We want to translate this curriculum, which is a Bible-based, cross-cultural curriculum, that's the way we presented it, um, to about 10 to 12 various languages to, to hopefully be pro, a, a provision for 95 to 98% of the world's Christian population. That's the goal, okay? And, and um, it's going to cost us. It's going to cost us $10 million. We, we are 18 months away from completing the English version. We've started the Spanish. We're starting to work Russian, few other languages. We need translators. We need editors. We need writers. Um, we need those who are willing to fund. I, I personally think that this is the, probably the number one way that we can buttress 
the worldwide kingdom of God, the church of Jesus Christ around the world today. I don't think, see, I've been to all these countries and talked to indigenous pastors. In fact, I work almost exclusively with indigenous pastors. I don't even work with missionaries. I don't even know where they are, and I don't know if they exist anymore. I think they exist less and less. Almost the entire work that's being done in four nations today is being done by indigenous pastors, indigenous missions. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I think the best thing we can do is not step in and say, excuse me, we're the white guys. We can do be the missionaries. We can be your pastors. No, 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 no. The world's way past that now. Right, right. Now what we can do is we can provide a little bit of seminary help, and that's what some of the American pastors are doing in India and other places. And we can provide resources for the pastor's kids. Because what we want is not just a one-generation effort here. We know the incredible power that happens. And you know the incredible power that happens when, by God's grace, there is a generational connection. And the fathers stand on the grandfather's shoulders. And the sons stand on the father's shoulders. And the grandsons stand on their uh, father's shoulders. And we see a generational effect begin to take place for the kingdom. You know that if you're losing 70 to 80% of your kids to the world through the Hindu schools, the Buddhist schools, and the humanist schools, that we're not really maximizing on the, the Holy Spirit outpouring of the New Testament age in which the hearts of the fathers should be turning to sons, sons to the fathers for a multi-generational discipleship. We're living in a Holy Spirit-filled age. We need to take advantage of this vision and provide an option, alternatives for, for families who think that the only thing they can do is uh, the, the secular schools around them. You know, it's interesting, we were down in Bidat Nagar on the southeast corner of Nepal about three months ago and did the very first homeschooling conference to this group of pastors down there, about 150 to 200 pastors and their wives. Mm-hmm. And uh, this, my translator was just amazed. He said, for a year we've been praying, what do we do? Our six-year-old child is ready to go to school. We're going to have to put him into a Buddhist school or a Hindu school. Those are two options. We didn't know what to do. We prayed for a year. Mm. And you showed up, and now we know what to do. Mm. And so, you know, I'm th- this would be the first homeschooling family in Nepal. And Nepal is the fastest growing Christian church in the world today. It's amazing. Uh, it is the Holy Spirit is poured out upon this nation in the most extraordinary way, and it is incredible what's going on. But but what's happening? I've been in the homes of a number of pastors in Nepal, Kathmandu, and they're sending their kids off to the Hindu schools, the Buddhist schools, and they're doing their best to disciple. But it's it's, catch, it's, it's just barely making it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think they need this vision. The world needs this vision. Um, other churches around the world need this vision. And um, we need to share it with others as well. So pray for us. We need funding. We need $10 million. And we know that's going to come in God's timing. We're not concerned. Um, but also pray for uh, connections. I think translations at this point is the number one concern. We need good translators. Now, to, the, to this point, uh, the last two months or so, I've been contacted by six or seven translators representing six or seven different countries around the world that want to begin this translation project and begin uh, to bring a distinctively Christian curriculum into their countries. That's a blessing. Well, give our listeners your website one more time. Yes, uh, it's generations.org. And just encourage folks to, to at least check out our curriculum. Um, you may want to pick and choose and maybe a, a certain hole you want to fill but uh, check that out. Also, our, our uh, radio program's there. We have a daily devotional and the Worldview in Five Minutes. So there's a lot more resources than we've had time to speak to in this podcast. Kevin's written a number of books uh, on education, on family life, 
there's just a lot of great resources that are available um, on their website through their ministry. Um, you can check out their website, sign up for their email list, make sure that you're getting regular updates uh, from Kevin and his ministry. Uh, Kevin, anything else you want to share that we haven't had time to, to cover so far that uh, you, you just want to share about something that uh, we, we maybe didn't touch on yet? Well, Israel, I think more than anything else, what I'm desiring is that God open the hearts of parents and open the hearts of their children. And really, I mean, if you think about it, we can provide curriculum, we can provide the resources, but at the end of the day, you know what? We really need a Holy Spirit outpouring. Mm-hmm. I was just at a Russian church last Sunday, 500 parents, uh, they're all concerned about what's going on at the public schools here in the state of Colorado. They're listening to this message about homeschooling. They're unsure that they can do it. But I guess my biggest prayer is that we see a Pentecost on mm-hmm. this nation. And when I say a Pentecost, I'm not just saying kind of this carpet biting thing or just a heavy duty emotional experience. I mean a true transformation of life. And, and, and that's going to be that's going to be obvious in the way in which we see parents' hearts turning to their children, the hearts of the children turning to the parents, and, and the children prophesying. In Acts chapter 2, what you see is an outpouring of the Spirit. The very first thing that Peter says is, this is what the prophet Joel is talking about. Uh, this is where the children will prophesy. Our sons, our daughters are going to prophesy, which means that we're going to see our children with a heart interest for Jesus and a desire. To, to love Jesus, to follow Jesus, and to, and, and to bring out the word in family worship, bring out the word in the church congregation, and uh, really engage the faith. In other words, we're going to see something very, very different than what David saw, where he lost the hearts of his children. And, uh, you know, you see almost nothing but negative with Eli, Eli's children, and Samuel's children, and then David's children. I mean, by the time a, a son is raping his sister, you know you're in trouble. You know that this is not the outpouring of the Spirit of God in the Old Testament age, but we're in the New Testament age now. And I guess more than anything else, I would love to see the hearts of uh, fathers and mothers open up towards their children, towards God, and uh, love God with their heart, soul, mind, and strength so much that they would, would disciple their children in God's Word as they walk by the way, as they rise up, and as they lie down. That, I think, is going to be the true demonstration of a Holy Spirit outpouring in the 21st century in this heavily, heavily secular, postmodern, post-Christian age. Well, for our listeners that resonate with that message, if that message strikes a chord with you, encourage you to connect with generations.org, connect with Kevin Swanson's ministry, stay plugged in with what he's doing. Again, they have a lot of great resources for different age levels and development levels and, and for the whole family. Uh, that I think you will be encouraged by. So Kevin, thank you for taking the time to join us on the Family Renewal Podcast and I look forward to doing this again sometime in the future. Thank you, Israel. God God bless you. Thank you for listening to this audio presentation. For more information on Family Renewal, the writing and speaking ministry of Brooke and Israel Wayne, please visit familyrenewal.org.